Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, go with me to the book of Luke in chapter number 10. Luke in chapter 10 this morning. I'll, I'll allow you to keep your seat. Luke in chapter number 10. And we come to verse number 13, 14, 15, and 16 this morning. Luke chapter 10, look with me in verse 13, 14, 15, and 16. Two weeks ago, we began Luke chapter 10. We took the first section, 1 to 12. Last week, we looked at verse 17 down to verse number 27. We're coming this, this morning to this middle section, which many of you thought I skipped over. I didn't skip over. I was just waiting for today. Knew where we were headed. Mark chapter 10 and verse number 13. Am I on here? Okay. Verse number 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked, them, rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and he said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me. Forbid them not. For such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them. And he blessed them. It's interesting, isn't it, that by divine design, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there are two issues that come together, one right after the other. The beginning of Mark chapter 10 talks about the sanctity of marriage. One man, one woman, for one life. This is God's design. Marriage is an institution given to us by God himself. Not by the state, not even by the church, but by God. And right behind the institution of marriage comes the sanctity of life. The preciousness that we find with children. I agree with George Barna, who's done much extensive research on the subject of church attendance, religion, salvation... Barna said, ministry to children is the most important strategic ministry in God's kingdom. He goes on to say that statistics prove out that 85% of people who come to a saving knowledge of Christ do so before the age of 18. I wonder this morning, how many of you accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior before the age of 18? Can I see? Just raise your hand, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Look around the room. Statistic proves to be true even amongst us this morning. In Jesus' day, it was very common for parents to bring their children to a rabbi, to a teacher, in order to be prayed for, in order to receive a blessing from. He'd pray for their future. He'd pray for their growth. In fact, the Jewish Talmud, their, their law books... 
encourages parents to do just that. Bring your children to a rabbi. And that's what we're seeing in this text. We're seeing parents who want their children to be brought to Jesus. And I love that. Let me just pull the car over for a second and talk about that just for a moment. Parents, get your children to Jesus as early and as often as you can. Your children are never too young to learn about Jesus. Getting your children to Jesus would mean getting your children in church. Getting your children to Jesus would mean getting your children into God's Word. Getting your children to Jesus would mean getting God's Word into them. I agree with a preacher from generations ago, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who said, Before a child reaches seven, teach him all the way to heaven. And better still, the work will thrive if he learns it before he's five. It's pretty good. Why get your children to Jesus? Well, because children are impressionable, that's why. Children are open. Children are always learning. They're always mimicking. They're always following. Emery is in this stage in her life now where she will copy Anything that you say to her. So every now and then she'll go, no, no, no. I came home one day and said, Emery, let's go play. And she went, no. I said, you've been following your mom around this house, haven't you? Get your children to Jesus early. Because your children are impressionable. They are open. They receive, even when you don't think they are receiving, they are receiving. But this passage isn't just teaching us that we should get our children to Jesus early. This passage is also teaching us that as parents, we are partners with God in raising our children. You must see yourself in this capacity. That you are joining in with God in raising this gift, this child that God has given to you. This is what all children are. They are a gift from God. You may think them to be a burden, but they are in fact a gift from God. So this is what's happening. These parents are trying to get their children to Jesus. And once again, the disciples get it wrong. How many have ever noticed this? The disciples get it wrong more often than they get it right. They're just like you and me. More like you, but sometimes. <laughs> His disciples rebuked those that brought them. So, so instead of being a part of what God is doing, they're in the way of what God is doing. Instead of being a part, they're in the way. Why are they in the way? Well, a couple of reasons. Namely, because of how they view themselves. They view themselves as important. They view themselves as significant. The, the, the problem with the disciples is that their view of themselves is that they are more deserving of acceptance of Christ. They are more deserving of grace. 
They are more deserving of importance than these children are. They do not, the disciples do not see themselves as needy or unworthy. They do not, the disciples do not see themselves as their only hope being in Christ. Their only hope is something that is apart, apart from them. Something that they can never achieve on their own. Something they can never deserve. Something that they can never earn. That they do not see Christ as the one who is dying for them. As the one who is accepting them. As the one who is transforming them. They were the disciples of Christ. But not because they had earned it. Not because they deserved it. Not because they were special or awesome. They were the disciples of Christ solely by God's grace. So the first problem for the disciples is that they do not know who they are. And when you think that you are deserving, when you think that you are important, when you think that you have earned God's love or grace or kindness, well, then it is all too easy to look down on the people around you. On people who you think don't deserve what you have received. That, that condition, that kind of thinking is called self-righteousness. Thinking that no one else around you deserves the grace that you are swimming in. And no, no one gives grace better than the person who knows he's deeply persuaded that he himself needs it. So anytime I find myself looking down on someone around me, Anytime I find myself thinking that I am more deserving of God's love and God's kindness than any other human being. It's not just that I have misunderstood who they are. It is that I have misunderstood who I am. This happens often in parenting. If we were honest this morning, most of the sins or the struggles in our children's lives were things that we could easily identify in our own life. Most of the things that our children struggle with are things that we struggle with. Who, who here hasn't had their child wait until the night before to inform them that they have a science project due the next morning? you know full well that they were made aware of that science project six months ago. But they failed to tell you about it. And so, Mom, I have a science project tomorrow. What do we do? We begin to lecture them. We get upset with them. We tell them how irresponsible they are, how this is just going to ruin their life. Now, they're probably never going to get in that college. They're never going to have a good job. They're never going to find a good spouse. All because they're just now telling you about the science project. Their whole future is ruined. 
But, you know, in the adult world, we don't do it that way. In the adult world, we just call something like that procrastination. See, we, we cleaned it up a little bit. Any adults ever procrastinate? Okay, help the person next to you because they're not. The person next to you procrastinates? Yeah. And see, in the adult world, it's just procrastination. For our kids, it's lack of responsibility. It's their future is ruined. It's that they were lazy and terrible students. You see how it goes? Most of, most of the sins and the struggles that our children have are sins and struggles that we have. The saying, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It's true. So what God is trying to help the disciples see, and what God is trying to help you see, is that you must change the way in which you are thinking about yourself. And some of the frustration, the disdain, even some of the conflict that we are finding inside of our families or marriages are, are a result of, of God bringing to our forefront, our vision, our sight, these sins and struggles that we have not properly dealt with in ourselves. God is trying to take you away from pride, from arrogance, from your own wisdom, from your own strength. He's trying to show you that you are just like a child dependent on him. We're just like children. We need him. And yet the disciples, they view themselves as not this way. They, they, they're, they're too important. They're too mature. They're too significant. They're too awesome. They're too good. They do not have a proper view of their own need for grace. And so they are not gracious to others. They do not have a proper understanding of the depth of grace that God has poured out on their lives. And so they are self-righteous in their treatment of other people. They fail to view themselves correctly. But there's a second thing that's happening in the text. It isn't just their view of themselves. It's also their view of children. They brought young children to him. He's very specific. They brought their young children to him that he should touch them and he should bless them. So verse 16, Jesus is taking them up in his arms. He's putting his hands on them and he is blessing them in this way. The disciples then are rebuking the children, the parents, and even Jesus for having done this. In Jesus' day, as well as our own, children are viewed as a liability. Until they can be productive, until they can contribute something to the society. This is seen already in our study of Mark where Herod is calling for the execution of babies during Jesus' time of birth. It's reported that the Romans had trash heaps beside many of the homes where there was often children, unwanted children, just left to die in these trash heaps, Josephus records for us. Even in the city of Carthage, there's a bronze image to a 
false god named Kronos who is, who is extending his hands forward and parents and children. These false priests and false religious systems would take, would, would take their children. They would drop their children onto these open palms that were at a slant. The children would land on the palms, fall down to the ground into a place that was this open fire pit offering these sacrifices to these false gods in this way. It's not just during Jesus' day either. It's even recorded in the Old Testament. You can walk backwards in your Bible to Psalm 106. And in Psalms 106 and in verse 34, it is teaching us what was happening in the children of Israel, how they had adopted the view of children that the world around them had. And it's saying in verse number 34 that the children of Israel did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen. And they learned their works. They served their idols, which were a snare to them. They, they, were, they, they were a trap. They, they imprisoned them in this way. And in, in, in what idols did they serve? And how were they, a, how were they a snare to them? Verse number 37, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. They shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, of whom, the sacri of whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan in the land that was polluted with blood. And thus were they defiled with their own works, and they went whoring after their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of God kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own own inheritance. And so we are seeing murder, idolatry, immorality, the abdication of parental responsibility, the disregard of parental responsibility, the disowning of parental responsibility, the disregard for marriage. We see all of it happening. Happening, and when a nation adopts these sorts of values, when they hold these sorts of things to be true, what happens? They see children as liable. They see children as expendable. They see children as a problem. We are not much better in America today. We kill, according to some estimates, a million and a half pre-born children every year in the United States. The state of New Jersey has just called for a law that would enact abortion up to the very last minutes of a pregnancy. We're not better in the state of California. Our governor is passing atrocious, atrocious policies. Telling women all over America that if they cannot find an abortion clinic where they are, then they can gladly come here and the taxpayers of this state will gladly pay for it. We see children as expendable. Carl Henry, a wonderful modern day theologian, says it is no secret that in American society... Extramarital fornication and adultery is the cause of most pregnancies that end in abortion. Pregnancy is a risk that many are willing to take, knowing that any undesired consequence could be eliminated by abortion. Abortion is the modern equivalent. It's the modern parallel to Psalm 106, where men and women are free to 
irresponsibly engage in fornication and adultery. And then women can choose to do whatever they want to do with the unintended consequence that they have now found. This is not the way that it is to be with the people of God. God's people understand that every child is valuable and that every child is wanted. Psalm 139, verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and my, that thy soul knoweth right well. There are no mistakes with God. Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? He is creator and giver of every life. He is creator and giver of every child. And the Lord wants every child here. Otherwise, he would, we would not have given conception of the child. And it is at conception that the scriptures teach us that life begins. Life begins at conception. God speaking to Jeremiah in chapter 1 and verse number 5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And God is telling Jeremiah, I am the one who put life in the womb. And in the womb, what God is doing is his own unique work of bringing together a soul and a spirit and weaving them into a brand new body, a body that is altogether different from its mother's body, a body that is his own. Life is infinitely valuable because life is a gift from God. And life, the scriptures helps us understand, begins at conception. So the ending of any life after the point of conception is what the Bible calls murder. And is wrong. This is what the scripture is teaching. Ours is a culture that disregards life in this way. Ours is a culture that not only disregards life. Ours is a culture that says your life only has any value so long as your life fits the right appearance and accomplishes the right things. So if you do not look at the way in which the world tells you to look, if you do not accomplish with your life the things that the world tells you you are to accomplish, then your life has no value at all. And in so doing, our children are being taught to hate themselves. They're being taught to hate the way they look. They're being taught to hate the way that they were made. They're being taught to hate the way in which God has constructed and built them and wired them. They're being taught to hate the way that other people look. People who are made differently from them. I always believed that the destruction of the family was something that would happen because of something in the society that would fall apart. Never in my wildest dreams did I realize that the destruction of the family would be something that is strategically planned for in our day. This is what is at stake. The disregard of the biblical family 
one man, one woman, and one marriage for one lifetime. That is what the Bible is saying. That is what the Bible is teaching. And that is what is under attack in today's world. I told you before, I used to pray every night that God would allow me to be six foot 10, 230 pounds. My favorite basketball player, Magic Johnson, was six foot 10 inches tall. I missed it by a foot and an inch. God didn't make me the way he made him. That doesn't make him better and it doesn't make me worse. It doesn't make me better and it doesn't make him worse. It makes him a unique individual made in the image of God. And being made in the image of God, he is a person and I am a person and you are a person who have intrinsic value because you've been made in the image of God himself. Regardless of your color, regardless of your size, regardless of your abilities, regardless of these things, children are infinitely valuable because children are made in the image of God himself. And as a culture, we have turned our back on this. God made you exactly how God wanted you to be made. Aren't you glad God didn't make you like he made me? You glad you don't look like me, talk like me? I'm glad I don't look like you. We must realize that all children, all children, are a gift from God. We must treat them in this way. We must see them in this way. Psalm 127, verse number one, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of their youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gates. The Bible is teaching us that children are a gift, a gift given to us from God. This evening I will preach a sermon entitled Protecting Your Home. And I will go right through Psalm 127. How as a mom, as a dad, as a family unit. It is your responsibility to protect your children in this day and age in which we live. But I ask you a question this morning. Are you like those who love children to Jesus? Or are you like those disciples who have no time for these sorts of things? Are you like those who are trying to get children to Jesus early and often? Or are you like the disciples who have no time for babysitting? What do you aim for in the lives of your children? What's your goal for your children? You're saying things like, well, I, I, I want them to do well in school. I want them to go to college. Not for sure why you would want that necessarily. 
seems to be a complete waste of time. I want them to stay out of drugs. So you want your kids to go to school, get a good job, be a good citizen, stay out of drugs. And if it ends there, then your goal is no different than what anyone else wants for their kids. Christian parenting isn't simply saying, I want my kids to have a good job and good school. Christian parenting is taking it a step further. It is saying, no, 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 I am raising this child. I am aiming for, with this child, my goal for these children who have been redeemed by the gospel, the love of God, is that they, with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, and with all of their strength, would live for God throughout their entire life. That is my goal. Regardless of what college they get into or job they work or how many accomplishments they have in their elementary basketball career. These are not things that matter in eternity. These are not things that you take into eternity with you. Only what is done for Christ lasts. And yet in my conversation, most Christian parents want the same thing that the worldly parents want. It is no different. So how do we do this? How do we get our children all the way to Jesus and teach them to love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength? With all of their being. How do we teach our children that? You've got four things in your outline. I'll go quick. First, children need a loving message. Children need a loving message. You must convey to your children that you love them and that you, are val and that you value them. Children are always asking two things. They're always asking, how much do you love me? And where are the boundaries? And if you say to your children, I love you, but there are no boundaries then you do not truly love them. In fact, they grow up thinking that you hate them. Your, your I love you to them is meaningless because you are not willing to draw the line, to take the stand in order to demonstrate love toward them. Love is willing to set the boundaries. So if you truly love someone, you show them where the boundary is, and then you hold them to the boundaries. I will tell you this. The only person who can truly convey unconditional love to a child is the parents of that child. In school, he or she may get ridiculed. In life, it will be difficult and tough. They will be taken advantage of. And children are always asking, who am I? Am I worthy? Am I significant? Am I liked? Am I loved? Am I valued? Am I cherished? And you alone have the ability to convey to him or her that they are not only loved, but they are valued. They're loved, they're valued. And when your children know they are loved and when your children know they are valued, then your children grow up to be confident in who God has made them to be. The reason we lack 
confident children is because we have parents who are not conveying to their children that they are fully loved and fully valued just as they are. Always being held in comparison to some other kid. Why can't you be like Billy? Why can't you be like Susie? But she doesn't get bad grades. Yes, they do. You just don't see them. You convey love to your children by giving them attention, by listening to them carefully, by setting boundaries and then holding them to those boundaries. It is not love to let your children play in the middle of the 710 during rush hour. Well, I just love them. We just don't believe in saying no. No, if you love them, and love is protecting them from themselves as well. It's not loving to just let a child just run rampant. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He corrects. That's the word. He corrects. How many of you as a child, your mom and dad gave you a whipping? How many of you were whipped as a child? You were spanked? Let's see. Okay, okay. Some of you didn't raise your hand. We can tell. We can tell. There's a child needs discipline in their life. They need to know the line. And when they cross the line, they need the correction in crossing the line. A child needs to know that if he is disrespectful to authority, that as he grows and he becomes disrespectful to his boss, it comes, it brings a consequence. The consequence of being disrespectful to mom or dad means he has to go sit in time out for a little while. The consequence of being disrespectful to your boss means you get fired. Well, they're just so mean to me down there. They actually want me to come to work on time. <sighs> go figure. This is, this is, we're facing these problems in our society and culture today. Children need a loving message. A message that says, yes, I love you. And yes, I value you. And the way I will communicate that love to you is by telling you this, by giving you attention, by listening carefully, but by drawing the line. And when the line is crossed, there is a consequence that comes from crossing the line. Children need a loving message. Do you know how countercultural what I just said is in the world today? People are going, what? You're supposed to tell your kids no? They can't have as many cookies as they want at 1030 at night? Yes, that is what we are saying. Children need a loving message. Children need a worthy model. Children need someone who they can emulate. This is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. He is saying, I am your spiritual father, so follow me in this way. Follow me when I follow after Christ. They need someone they can emulate. They need someone they can follow. They need someone who doesn't just tell them, you better go to church, you better love Jesus, you better. He is some they need someone who models that for them, who demonstrates it. 
It, it, it is not spiritual to look at your kids when they're misbehaving and say, well, I bet you didn't read your Bible today. You, if you interact with your children like that, you are what is understood as a spiritual bully. You're always using the Bible, you're using spiritual things to bang over somebody's head. You're a spiritual bully. Someone who uses devotions as punishment. Oh, you misbehave. Go read your Bible. A spiritual bully uses scriptural things as a tool against. Someone who's spiritually mature isn't saying, bet you didn't read your Bible. Someone who's spiritually mature is saying, let's go read our Bibles. Better to say, let's read it together. Tell me what you read. Let me tell you what I learned. Better to lead than to push. You want your children to honor God? You want your children to love God? You want your children to pursue God? Do you honor God? They must see you reading your Bible. They must see you praying. You want children who don't drink? You want children who aren't alcoholics? Are you an alcoholic? You want children to tell the truth? Do you tell the truth? Do your, do your children see you lie? You want children who aren't prone to fits of rage? Are you in a fit of rage? Children follow the example that they see. That is what I'm telling you. If we want to raise children for God, we must give them a loving message. We must give them a worthy model. Your life speaks far more than any lecture you've ever given your children. How many of you, you're good at giving lectures? Let me see. Lecture is my first default mode with my children. They're doing something I don't like. I, on my phone, I keep these long notes. So I'm driving home the other day, and I was ranting about something to Elena and Jesse. When you grow up, you better not be like that. And I, was, I was giving it to them, you know. Some person had bothered me. Lena goes, Dad, are you going to write a note about this? Because I'll just wait for the note to come out. So I had to write a note about waiting for the notes now. There's going to come a time in your life when your young adult and your teenage son, when all that you say when all that you have said will not be remembered, will not be heard, will not be listened to, let me tell you what they will remember. They will remember the actions that you made. They will forget 
the lecture. But may they never forget the life. That is what they will remember. Children need a loving message. They need a worthy model. Children need an authority to be obeyed. Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. That is still in the Bible. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. You say, well, pastor, I want my kids to obey me. They just don't. Let me give you a little bit of advice on that. Have a few rules, but be consistent with the rules that you have. Have a few rules, but be consistent with the rules you have. And teach them to obey the rules. You must teach obedience. You must teach obedience. You must foster this inside of them. You must teach them. When I say go do this, you go do it and you bring it back. When they're little, you can make it a game. If you have a 16-year-old, I wouldn't recommend making that a game. Probably won't like that. But have a few rules. There's three things that will get you in trouble in my house. Disobedience, disrespect, and dishonesty. You can do anything else you want, but if you do these three things, you toast. Very easy. You can get along really good in my house. As long as you don't do these three things. You've seen it a thousand times and so have I. Remember when you were little, mom would say, Dave, time to come inside and eat. Keep playing, not listening to mom. I'd rather play than put the stuff away. Dave, it's time to eat. Dave, it's time to eat. And then about the third or fourth time it would be, David, Brian, Delaney, get in here right now. Right? She was serious on that one. You must teach your children that you aren't serious only when you use all three names. Some of your children never think you're serious until you bust out every name. Some of you got more than three names. You got like five names. They need an authority to obey. Have a few rules. Be consistent with the rules. Hold the rule where it's at. The Bible says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Don't, don't, don't exhaust your children. One of the ways that we can exhaust them is by overcorrecting them. Sometimes I get onto my kids and it just feels good to get onto them. So I just want to stay upset with them for a long time. Correction was given. Move on. It's over. It's done. Amanda goes, you need to go, go outside, play with the kids. They think you're still mad at them. I am still mad at them. No, you already gave them the discipline. Go out. I just want to be mad for a little while longer. It feels good to be mad for just a little bit. Go outside. They need an authority to be obeyed. Have a few rules. Be consistent with them. Do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't overcorrect. Don't overcriticize. Don't be on them about every little thing. Some things just aren't that big of a deal. Remember this lesson early on? I'm getting, trying to get my kids to eat their green beans. Eat your green beans. Eat your green beans. Of course, I don't eat green beans, but I'm trying to make them do it. Eat your green beans. Eat your green beans. And Amanda goes, Dave, this is what we want to go to war over? Green beans? Like of all the things in life, green beans are what we're going to fight them about? 
I said, if they don't eat green beans, then they're going to be like this tall their whole life. They're going to be like Casper the friendly ghost. They're going to have no... She goes, I don't think so. It's not a big deal. She was right. You can find yourself always over-criticizing, over-correcting. And thereby provoking your children to wrath. Children need an authority to be obeyed. They need a worthy model. They need a loving message. Children need an available grace. They need an available grace. They need grace. If you do not teach your children grace, then as soon as he can, as soon as he has the wherewithal, he will set out on his own to do his own thing, to live his own way because he figures that there is no way in which he can live up to the high standard that you have set for him to live. So why bother living to any standard at all? Just do what I want, when I want, how I want. That's what makes me happy. This is why they need grace. They need the gospel. Because the gospel teaches us you cannot live up to the standard. That's why Jesus came. You cannot do everything you always should. And you will sometimes do things that you should not. That is why Jesus came. The person who has failed to realize their own need of grace shows no grace to anyone else. Christ came on a rescue mission for us. He died for our sins. He was raised again. Jesus lived the life that you and I could not live. Jesus died the death that you and I should have died. And Jesus offers to us an exchange through faith in him. His life and death for ours. His life and death for ours. So of course, your children will make mistakes. Just like you do. And when you make mistakes, what do you do? Hopefully you go to the Lord and you ask him for forgiveness. And you go to those around you who you've wronged and you ask them for forgiveness. This is what you're trying to teach your children. You do something wrong, you ask for forgiveness. But are you modeling this yourself? Children need an available grace. They need an authority to be obeyed. They need a worthy model. They need a loving message. And if you are God's child, and what God is saying through the disciples to you and to me, is you've been chosen to never grow up. This is how you are to live. You have a model. His name is Jesus. You have available grace. It's from Jesus. You have an authority that is to be obeyed. It's the words of Jesus. And these words are a loving message to you of how your life ought to go. Do you see? Jesus is all of this for you. Jesus is all of this for you. And he desires to be all of this for your children. And God has given to you and to me the responsibility of ensuring that our children see Jesus as this for them. But oftentimes I find myself in the way of what God is trying to do. Instead of being a part of what God is trying to do. 
Which is why we must remind ourselves of our need for grace. That's why it's important to take Sundays like today and say, Lord, I want to raise my children for you. Don't always do that. Haven't always been that. But Lord, I need your grace in knowing how to do it in this season that we are in.